0: How are you? Going alright? I don't know if I can make that any lower. but So, my name's Dave. And, uh, hi, how are you? It's good to be here. Uh, I am uh, a pastor of a church called Hills Baptist Church and I uh, help lead a ministry called Ignite Ministries, um, which we are just passionate about seeing people come to faith. We're passionate about seeing disciples um, grown and challenged and stirred up and I think that video says it so best. The gospel is supposed to be transformational. So for th- some of you who don't know what transformational means, it means when you meet Jesus, your life should be different. And your life should be continually being made different over and over and over again as you're transformed more and more into His likeness. And this is what I'm passionate about uh, in our world today. And so I wanted to, I wanted to bring a word um, tonight. And thanks for having me, by the way. It's great to be here. It's fantastic to come and be able to share with you guys. But I, uh, I've been thinking a lot recently around a couple of, couple of things, um, around this whole concept of, of the, the pearl of great price, about this, this passage in Matthew chapter 13 from verse 45 to 46. I don't know if you've, if you've got a Bible or you've got it on your smartphone or something, you can go there. Um, but in Matthew chapter 13 verse 45 and 46 Jesus says something interesting he says well we'll start from verse 44 he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field and when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away sold everything he had And bought it. So Jesus, or Matthew, in recounting Jesus' story here, is trying to tell you something about the nature of who Jesus is in his kingdom, right? And it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if any of you remember bulk food items. Remember how you used to be able to go to the shop? I don't know if you still can in Coromandel Valley, you can't in the Adelaide Hills, where instead of buying lollies and nuts and stuff in packets, there used to be these big plastic tubs with like metal spoons, and you'd go along with your plastic bag and you'd scoop it out and then you'd weigh it and you'd get however much you wanted as opposed to just your little packet. Are you with me? Hands up if you remember bulk food. Hands up if you can still get bulk food up here. Fantastic. I might have to come up here. So we... We used to get bulk food. I used to love going to Woolworths with my mum and dad when I was a kid and we'd go past the bulk food item and we'd scoop it in and we'd get the plastic bag and we'd put it in the plastic bag and we'd open the plastic bag and put it on the trolley and eat it as we were walking, which is a little bit illegal and you shouldn't do that uh, because it's actually stealing, I found out later in my adult life. But uh, that's what we used to do, just a little treat. Um, But we were never allowed to just take the food out of the bulk bin because mum would say, no, if it's in the bulk bin, you've got to pay for it. But on the ground, it's fair game. So what we would do is we would get on our hands and knees, we'd get on our stomach, we'd do everything we could to get under the bulk bins and we'd be searching the floor, searching for just, you know, an apricot delight or a, a chocolate almond or something like that. Who knew what treasures would be found underneath the bin? And so we'd get on our hands and knees, we'd lie down, you know, those disgusting shopping centre floors where if you walk barefoot, Anyone walk barefoot in a shopping centre lately? When you finish, your feet are absolutely filthy, aren't they? They're disgraceful. And so you'd be on your hands and knees, on your belly, looking for one of these. And if you found one, you'd get up and be like, yes! And you'd dust it off and you'd shove it in the gob and you'd go again, looking for something delicious. And I was thinking about this pearl of great price, I'm thinking about, you know, When we were kids, we thought a chocolate almond was worth getting on our hands and knees. We thought it was worth suffering the shame from all the people walking past thinking, you filthy, rotten children. I started to think, as Christians in this day and age, do we see Jesus that way? Are we prepared to get on our hands and knees... Are we prepared to pray? Are we prepared to actually put him above everything else so that we might encounter him, so that we might see a revival, so that we might see a breakthrough, so that we might see a mighty move of God in this generation? Or are we very dignified and polite? Do we just walk past Jesus and give him the nod? G'day Jesus, it's Sunday again. And carry on walking on, doing whatever we do in life as we normally do. Where's the desperation? Be with me. Because the thing here's the thing if Jesus is the pearl of great price, if Jesus if the answer to that question is he worth it, if he is worth it, if he is greater than anything else in this world, and as Christians, if you're a Christian in this place, that's what we proclaim, that's what we were just singing about. And is he not worthy of our everything? Yet what we do in the West is we just give him our crumbs. We just say, "Oh, maybe, maybe not." I think we've become a yes unless generation. You know what I mean by that? I mean we've forgotten what following is. When Jesus came and he called his disciples, do you know what he said to them? They were working, they were busy, they were making a living, they had stuff on just like we have stuff on. And he came to them and he said, Come follow me. But in our culture, in our context, for you people, the way that we see following is we see it as a click on a screen. We think that following is, yep, following you. We think because we like some posts, we think because we share some videos. We think because maybe even we like them so much that we'll comment, maybe we'll even subscribe, you know, that this is following. We've, we've convinced ourselves that following, maybe even put a poster on the wall, convinced ourselves that following is a distant, disengaged relationship where I, I like you, but I'm not, there's no deep investment in you. That's not following, friends. Jesus called the disciples. He wasn't calling them to that. That is called being a fan. That is called being at a distance. That is called being in the grandstand. And we do that with Jesus. We're cheering him on. Yeah, great. Yeah. But that's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to follow. Follow. In first-century Palestine, when you followed what that actually meant was you would leave everything for the sake of the one you were following. To be a disciple meant that as as the rabbi walked, the, literally the dust from his feet would flick up and land on yours. There was a there was almost a pride in the fact that. I was so close to my rabbi, I was so close to the one who I was following that I would be with them through thick and thin. It was a deep, invested, genuine relationship. Guess what? That will cost us. Awful quiet in this church right now. That will cost us. It's the nature of following. It will cost you something. We don't want cost because our culture says that comfort is king. Our culture says that the chief end of humanity, that everything we should strive for is to be comfortable. You're worth it. Car after yourself. It's all about you. You're the one. Relax. Don't stress out about this stuff. Why would you follow? Why would you worry about? Don't sacrifice. No, no, no. It's all about you. Fill up your own cup. Acquire wealth. Do all these things. Be comfortable. That's what our culture is telling us is what we should strive for. But let me ask you a question. Is our culture content? Is our culture genuinely joyful? Does our culture have peace? answer is no, at an alarming rate. All the data supports it. if you look at anxiety, you look at depression, you look at loneliness, you look at youth suicide, you look at all these statistics, every single one of them are rising significantly the more that we stress that we should seek comfort. So it seems interesting that as we reject commitment and we chase after comfort, that actually what we're finding is not joy and not peace and not happiness, but what we're finding is brokenness. Could it be that just maybe life, joy, peace, all of these things are actually found instead of chasing after comfort in actually committing to the cause of Christ? Could it be? Could it be that this idea of following and not just being a fan is what genuinely leads to life? I think so. And this is what Jesus is calling his people to. He's calling us. He says, come, follow me. He's inviting us into this powerful, incredible depth of relationship. He's saying, don't just click follow. Don't just say, yeah, I like you. Don't just be a fan. Don't allow the culture to creep in. Because it's easy to sit there on Sunday and raise your hand and be like, yeah, Jesus, woo! I love you, man, oh great, I even shared that guy's sermon, that's how much I like you. And when you said that thing about that person that time, oh, right in the feels when you healed that blind guy wow that was awesome I love that that was so incredible and you know that you're just so great Jesus and then Jesus says all right I want you to come and follow me I want you to go and talk to that guy on that corner who looks homeless and I want you to go and buy him lunch and you say yeah nah oh yeah I've got a tummy ache um yeah I'm just feeling a bit off like I love you Jesus but I'm busy, you know, I've got an assignment to do and full right now, Jesus, like you didn't play soccer back then, but I do. And you don't really understand the commitment that I have to soccer. So I I don't think that you're asking me to pray, you're asking me to read, but I've got like work and I've got this teacher breathing down my neck and I've got stuff that's going on. You probably wouldn't get it, but so I'm with you, but I just can't really commit that time. That is our culture. That's Western Christianity that's not what Jesus has invited us into. Jesus has actually invited us into this beautiful depth of relationship where we genuinely follow. You have 168 hours in a week. 168. How many of those hours are given to actually listen to the King? And how many of those hours are given towards our own comfort? Imagine What this world would look like if Christians chose commitment over comfort. Imagine what this world would look like if Christians actually got excited about the pearl of great price. Imagine if we caught a revelation of who Jesus actually is, not just some guy who my parents sing about on Sunday and who's a bit removed but we actually had a revelation of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that he is who he said he is he is real he did come for me he does love me he did buy me at a price he has sent his spirit to empower me and he desperately wants to transform this world and show them how his love is available for them he desperately wants to bring peace imagine the world if Christians caught a glimpse of the pearl Would it not be different? Imagine if we chased after Christ. What if we picked up our cross? What if we recognize that, yeah, this is going to cost me, but oh my gosh, that pearl, that pearl is worth it. He is so worth it. He's worth so much more than anything else. Do you know what? Minecraft, if you're playing that or whatever games you're playing, gee, they're great fun, but are they really going to save your life? Jesus loves you. And he came for you and he's calling you and he's saying, come follow me. Can you give me 10 minutes a day, pray, to read, to seek first my kingdom and its righteousness? Can you actually put the television off for five minutes and just sit with your family and talk about your day and talk about where God is in the day? Can we choose commitment over comfort? Because I think if we do, we will see revival in this land, ladies and gentlemen. And this is my heart, that we would catch a glimpse of the pearl because guess what? It doesn't matter what I say, there's nothing that I can say that will convince you that he's worth it. The only one who can convince you is God himself. By the power of His Spirit. And so this is my prayer, that by the power of His Spirit, He would just captivate your heart tonight, that He will give you a glimpse of who Jesus is, and that He would bring transformation and light a fire in your souls so that you might go from this place and tomorrow morning when you wake up, you might just choose to set the alarm 15 minutes earlier and read the Gospels and pray and say, God, just do something in my life. That is my heart, that is my prayer, not just for this church, but for every church, that our churches would be the place of revival, that we would be a place that people walk into and go, wow. Instead of walking in, I heard just this morning someone made a comment about dead churches, and I said, "That's. It doesn't even make sense. Church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is alive and well. How can churches be dead? Because if we're dead, then we're not the church. The church should be full of faith and full of fire, empowered by the Holy Spirit, bringing transformation to the world. Getting cranky. (laughs) But I'm not cranky. I'm just passionate. Uh, Let's not be a yes unless culture, amen? Let's not be a yes unless culture. So here's my question. My question to you is this. What's more valuable? Jesus more valuable? Or is everything else that the world offers more valuable? Genuinely more valuable. And my task in the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes, is I want to show you one tiny facet of the pearl, one tiny scratch of the surface of why I think he's worth it, why I think he's more valuable. Can we do that? And the, the answer is found in the book of Colossians. Can you go to Colossians with me in the first chapter? And we're going to go to the 13th verse. Colossians 1 verse 13. And it says this, in talking about Jesus, he says, For he has rescued, someone say, rescue. Someone say, rescue. Rescue. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sun. He loves. Friends, at the beginning of this year, I was actually involved in a boating accident. Uh, it was January. We had one hot day in January. You might remember. It was one 40-degree day. It was beautifully still and calm. And my uh, wife's parents, so my in-laws, they've got a shack down at a place called Lady Bay, down south, right? And so we were down south, and uh, we, there's me and there's three brother-in-laws. And so we bought this little boat, a little bit bigger than a tinny um, but it's a rubbish old thing. And uh, we bought a boat. We thought it'd be great to take it fishing and stuff like that. So had this beautiful hot day and I went out with my brother-in-law and my two boys. So my five-year-old and my eight-year-old, Benji and Bailey. And we drove down to Warina, down where the ramp is, and it was absolutely packed. It was like Woolworths at Christmas, right? There was just people everywhere because that's, what happens when you get one calm day in your entire Adelaide summer? I'm praying for something different this time around. Anyway, so we, we reverse the uh, we reverse the boat down where I'm sorting the boat put the boys in the boat I put their life jackets on and I'm pushing it back and this other guy because it was two at a time because that's how busy it was he reverses his boat and his boat was a heck of a lot nicer than our boat I'll tell you that right now so his boat comes in our boat's here my brother-in-law comes back and I'm like should I just spin the boat around so we can just drive forward and go straight out And he goes, no, 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 she'll be right. We'll just put it in reverse and out we'll go, turn around and then go. I went, okay, okay. And we had the canopy on. I said, oh, should I just take the canopy off? Because it's a bit annoying. He goes, ah, no, 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 she'll be right. It's hot. We'll just leave it up. there. I went, all right, no worries. So we hop in the boat. He puts it in reverse. And instead of the boat going into reverse, it just goes, and he thought, oh, that's not a good sound. He went to tap it back into neutral. But instead of going into neutral, it just leapt into gear. And this boat just took off right into the boat that was directly in front of us so we have a boat we've got our boat we've got a pontoon all the way down there and so my brother-in-law's driving and trying not to ram straight into the back of this boat he turns to try and avoid it to drive up the pontoon but in driving up the pontoon the boat kind of kicks up and just went back and because the motor was just like that and we ended up doing a full backflip and so as we're flipping, it was one of those moments where you have a thousand years worth of thoughts in like one second. My whole life's flashing before my eyes. I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is bad. It's going to be one of those tragedies. Channel 9's going to be here filming this horrible thing. Like all this is going through my head. And so Bailey was next to me, my eight-year-old, and Benji, my five-year-old, is in front. And so I had this instinct. I'm just going to grab him. And there was like windows sort of things in the, between the aluminium poles and the canopy. I thought, I'll, I'll leap out of there and we'll be Okay. So I grab Bailey and I jump, but it all happened too quickly, and I got halfway through, and the boat slammed down. So I'm stuck underwater, trapped between the boat and the canopy, just pinned underwater, and I've got Bailey in my arm, holding him, and I'm thinking thoughts that aren't probably shouldn't be spoken about in church. (laughs) Thinking, oh dear, I'm in an awful lot of trouble. I was like, what? I'm thinking, oh no. And so I thought the only way I can possibly get out of this is to let him go, which is a scary thought as a father. I'll tell you that right now. I let go of Bailey and I just started thrashing around trying to get loose. And thank God those things are a bit flimsy because sort of one arm broke and I came up for air, had the big (gasps) thinking I didn't have much time left. And as I came up, I saw my brother-in-law, he'd popped up, but my boys were nowhere to be seen, trapped under the boat in that moment, as a father, you would like to think you were cool, calm and collected. There's none of those things. All I did was scream and rant. And I was like, where's my boys? And I'm like, you know, doing the frog kick thing in the water, trying to shoulder press a boat over, doesn't work. And I'm like, just losing the plot, like, completely unhelpful. And so I'm doing that My brother-in-law's there, and these people are running from everywhere because they've seen it happen. And Dan, my brother-in-law, he tells us this. He says that he just had this one moment of complete, it was like the Holy Spirit just came all over him. And he said where he was stressed before when he was driving, everything went silent. He just had this complete clarity, and he knew what he needed to do. And he, he dove off of the pontoon. He dived under the boat. He pulled back the canopy, and he saw a life jacket. He grabbed it, and he yanked as hard as he could, and out popped Benji, and then he went again, he came in and he pulled Bailey out. Bailey popped up, like coughing and spluttering, and then people were everywhere, getting the boys out. And this one guy's hugging my boys. He's like, you little legends. And I, then he came and hugged me, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. My brother-in-law's just crying on the pontoon, and it was just the most ridiculous, crazy, surreal experience. And I said to him probably two hours later, I said, I am so grateful for you to my brother-in-law because i said if you weren't there my boys wouldn't be here because there is no way that they could save themselves trapped in the waters that surrounded them they had no other hope somebody broke those waters into their situation and ripped them to safety that was the only hope they had as i was thinking about that i could not help but think about jesus because that is what he has done for each and every one of us he He's the one who broke the waters of brokenness and decay. He crashed in. He arrived in our situation and he grabbed us. And it says that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Guess what? Every single human being trapped in the waters of brokenness, decay, despair and death. And we need a rescuer. And the only one who can rescue is Jesus. He is the only one who can do it. That is why he is worth it. Can I teach for a, a tiny bit and show you why he's the only one? Because people say, oh, why is he the only one? Let me tell you why he's the only one. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll see the story of humanity you see the story of creation you see the story where God made human beings and what we find is that in that story that Eve and Adam because he believed a lie too they believe a lie of the enemy and they take a piece of fruit the whole point of that is not the fruit the point of that is disobedience that they disobeyed God they 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 sinned against God Now, in chapter two, when God creates humanity, it says that he breathed into them the breath of life. So when God breathes, when God moves, dead things come to life, amen? When God moves, dead things come to life. He breathed that that breath of life and humanity came to life. He then says to Adam, he says, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And so they eat of the fruit. Now, they don't die physically, but what has happened in that moment is a seed of death. They had the eternal spirit of life in them. And in the moment that they chose to disobey God, they chose to step into sin, they were implanted with a seed of death. So what was this beautiful communion and fellowship and eternal spirit with God now has this seed of death that's in humanity, right? It's in humanity. And we see the fruit of that for the next 13-odd chapters, the next 12, 13 chapters in Genesis where humanity does what? It just plummets and plummets and plummets. Do all this filth and rot, right? And then Genesis 15 happens. Who likes Genesis 15? Anybody? I like Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is a really interesting passage of Scripture, right? It's a passage where we meet a guy called Abram. Everyone say Abram. Now, Abraham soon becomes Abraham as we know him, right? And what happens in Genesis 15 is God comes to Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. And when he comes to him, he makes a covenant. A covenant is a promise. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, right? And this is the promise that he makes. And then he does something weird in the way that he fulfills that promise. If you've got your Bibles, go to uh, verse 9, chapter 15, verse 9. So the Lord said to him, "Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon." And Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves on opposite sides of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on their carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Listen to this: as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a dark sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country, and he goes on and on and on. And then he says, In verse seventeen, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. What the heck is this going on about? This is an ancient practice when you made a promise. You know, when you see people get married today, what do they say? Until death, until death do us part, right? That's the promise. That's where this comes from. This ancient covenant, which basically said, I'm going to take animals. I'm going to slaughter those animals, put them in half. And together, what we do is we walk through the pieces of the dead animals as a sign of the covenant. What it's saying is, if either one of us break this covenant We will become like these animals. We will suffer death for forsaking our promise. Are you with me? Who's with me? So this is what Genesis 15 is talking about as we walk through the pieces. And then it says that a a blazing fire pot. How did God appear to people in the Old Testament? He appeared in fire. This is the presence of God. So Abraham's there. The pieces are set up and it says, Who passes through the pieces? Just God. Abraham does not pass through the pieces, as is the custom. Only God goes through the pieces. Guys, if you catch this, this is going to transform your life. What God is saying here is I will fulfill my covenant to humanity, I will fulfill the promise to be a blessing to all humanity through Abraham. I will fulfil that. Guess what? You're human beings. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to stuff up. So I'm going to bear the price of the covenant. And he walks through on his own behalf saying that I will even suffer unto death to ensure that I fulfil my promise. This is the gospel. This is, he's speaking of Jesus in Genesis. How good's that? Jesus is not an afterthought. He's not an afterthought. He was always a part of the plan. Always, always, always. The Bible says that He was the Lamb slain before the creation of the world. It was always a part of the plan. God says, this is how I'm going to fulfill my promise by sending my Son and dying on a cross, right? And then you fast forward to the Gospels and you see some crazy stuff that happens because we've said that human beings have the seed of death in them because they ate the fruit, because they sinned. Go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus has an interaction with a leper, right? Now, when you have an interaction with a leper, a leper is someone whose skin's all anky and gross, and it's this disease. And if if Joshie had leprosy and I touched him, what would happen? Get it? Because that's the way this seed of death works. That's the way humanity works. He who is infected will pass that onto the one who is clean, right? So no one touched a leper. I'm not saying you're a leper, but... No one touched a leper. They they were scared. Not because they were mean, because it meant that I could catch that disease, right? No one touched the leper because you would become unclean. Guess what Jesus does? The Bible tells us in Matthew 8 3 that he touches the leper. But guess what happens? Guess what happens? Does Jesus get infected? No. The leper gets clean. The leper gets clean. This is not just a cool story, friends. This is phenomenal. This is. This goes against everything that humanity is about. The seed of death, which causes death. Jesus rocks up. Matthew's trying to show us something by putting this in here. He's saying, hey, 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 there's something different about this guy. This is the Genesis 15 that you're waiting for. This is the one who breathes life. Because what's in Jesus gets passed on to the one that's infected, not the other way around. It's supposed to be the dead one causes death to him, but it's the other way around. Jesus, what's in Jesus is passed To the one that's infected, amen. And then you see it again. You see it with the woman with the issue of blood. She's got blood, she's unclean. She touches Jesus. But what happens? Jesus doesn't get unclean, she gets healed. She gets healed because what's in Jesus is transferred to what's in her. Then he touches, there's a, there's a boy who's dead in a city called Nain. You'll find it in Luke 7. And so this boy is dead and Jesus goes up, you did not touch a corpse in that culture. It made you unclean. What does Jesus do? Yeah. And he touches it. Instead of the dead infecting and transferring to the living Because Jesus is the seed of life. He is the one who can rescue and redeem and restore. He is the only one who can bring life. When he touches the dead boy, instead of him getting unclean, the dead boy raises up. It's not just a cool story. It's not just a cool miracle. This is Matthew and Luke and the Gospel writers trying to get us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Genesis 15 promise is the only one who can rescue and redeem. He is God. And therefore, friends, He is worth it. He is the pearl of great price. He is worth you giving 15 minutes a day to pray and read and ask Him for His counsel and guidance and wisdom over your life. It is worth standing up against the stuff of this world where your friends or whoever is chasing after the meaningless, monotonous rubbish that it's already proved just leaves to death and destruction and despair and saying, no, 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 I'm not going down that road because there is a God who breathes life life and I'm chasing after him. He's worthy of it all. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy and he's looking for a generation who wouldn't just be a fan but would be a follower. I ask us this morning, are we following? Is he worth it? You better believe he's worth it. Paul and Peter and John and Philip and Nathaniel and We could go on and on and on throughout all of human history. What did they say in response to this question? They said, yes, he is worth it. And if someone from this generation would rise up and say the same thing, I believe with all my heart that we would see revival. I'm going to invite Noah. You can come up and I'm going to close. But as I close, I want to give you one more reason. So the first thing is he's worth it because he's God. He's God. The second thing that I just want you to see very quickly in this passage is that he's worth it because he thinks you're worth it. He's worth it because he said you're worth it. The Bible says that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came. He gave up the glory of heaven And became incarnate he took on human flesh and he died as if he was a sinner he died on a cross he suffered extraordinarily so that we would know his affection and his love and his heart for us and the more that I talk particularly to younger people the more I need you to know that you are worth his love So often we have this thing where the world is saying, no, you're not worth it because we now dictate our value on the number of thumbs up you get on a photo or a video. We dictate our value on the number of people who have clicked following on your profile. That has nothing to do with your value and your worth. Your value and your worth is determined by the fact that before time even began, God ordained that He Himself would come for you, that He would bare flesh, that He would die on a cross so that you would know you are worth it. Because He loves you, because you're His child and because your identity is found in Him, not in what anybody else says of you. And I wish with all my heart and all my soul that I had the power within myself to make that take root in your spirit and germinate into something. But only God can do it. And that is my prayer right now, that by His Spirit, He has taken that word and it is bearing seed in your soul. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Netflix, whatever you want to insert in there is not coming for you. None of those things will ever fill your cup. Ever. Only Jesus. He is the only one who will crash the waters of brokenness and despair. He is the only one who entered human history. He is the only one with the power and the might and the authority to rescue you from that which engulfs you. And because of that, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. So I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes. I could preach on this the next three hours, but you don't have time for that. And as we close our eyes, I just want to offer an opportunity right now. If there's someone in this room who's at a place where you are like do you know what I want to give this God my life I want to give this Jesus I want to just surrender it to him yes I see the pearl yes I see the pearl I see him for who he is and he's worthy and I want to surrender my life and I'll say yes Lord I am yours if that's you I want you to pop your hand up and I'm going to pray for you I'm not going to ask you to stand up and do a dance or anything like that I'm just going to pray for you and we're going to believe for wonderful things to be happening in your life so if that's you three, two, one, pop your hand up where you are thank you Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Awesome. You can pop your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for these two beautiful people who have just put their hand up to say, Yeah, I want you, Lord. I want to give my life to you. And so right now, we just entrust them to you and we thank you, Father God, that you receive them. We thank you that you receive them by faith. We are saved. By grace through faith. It's an act of grace. And so we just surrender them to you. We praise you, Lord, that you have come to rescue and redeem. Amen. And I just want to pray one more thing over this room. And it's more, it's more a sign today, because sometimes a physical response actually, there's something about just saying, do you know what? Yeah. I'm going to physically do it because we are, we're physical and spiritual and emotional and when we make a physical response it has spiritual implications when we make spiritual responses we should have physical implications and so what I'm going to invite us to do in this room as the band comes forward and we take a moment to worship is if you're at a place where you've been doing your Christian life but it's time to just say yeah something has to change I haven't been seeking Him first, but I want to seek Him first. I want to seek Him first. I want to put Him before all other things. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. And we're going to sing together and do it. You can stand. great price and Lord right now as you see your saints standing God I pray for tangible change as we said at the beginning tangible change Lord right now that there would be a difference being made in their spirit that there'd be a conviction of your Holy Spirit that causes them to get on their knees and want to pray God if we're going to get on our knees for a chocolate almond by God we're going to get on our knees for a move of God in this generation Lord, may we be prayers. May we be people who read your Word. May we sacrifice something of our own time and our own freedoms that we might understand what real freedom is, that we might submit ourselves to Christ as we submit ourselves to Christ, walk in the fullness of the resurrection power of God. So I pray right now for an infilling of your Spirit in this room, of every single one of these people. I pray for a touch of your Spirit transformative touch God Lord for power to come upon them for might to come upon them for grace to come upon them for joy to come upon them for peace to come upon them Lord for truth to be proclaimed through their mouths and through their lips for a resilience to come upon them to face and stand against the devil's evil schemes Lord God that you would put your armour upon them that you would just fill them up to the fullness of the measure of God God, that we might see revival in our land. We love you, Lord. We give you honour and praise. And we're going to worship you now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.